0: You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist and family nurse practitioner. And first, I want to send everyone lots of love, light, and hope. Uh, myself and Nurse.org genuinely care about each and every one of you who are listening. And we know these are very tough times and we are here for you. So we hope you've been tuning into the podcast as we build community, stay informed, and talk about the many things that are going on in society, especially as it relates to health, wellness, medicine, and healthcare. Because you are a healthcare provider, but you're also a consumer. And again, you know, we're in this pandemic, but we're stronger together. So we hope you're doing well, coping and adjusting and, you know, stay tuned, stick with us. We promise we're going to get through this together. And because there's so much news out there about vaccines, boosters, mandates, things that are happening at people's jobs, I know it's information overload, but I think it's so important that we reel it back in a little bit and don't get lost in the sauce and really focus on some of the fundamental things that we need to know as healthcare professionals as well as consumers. So today we decided that we were going to take a closer look at one of the vaccines and speaking to an expert about the Johnson and Johnson the one and done vaccine which by the way is the one that I got. So I'm particularly interested to know more about this one. But again, we're going to keep it objective. It's about the data. No one is endorsing, promoting, buying or any of those things. This is purely information so you can know this for yourself, your patients, your families, your loved ones, and your communities. So joining us today, I have Dr. Rick Nettles, Vice President of Medical Affairs for Janssen Infectious Disease Vaccines. Uh, Dr. Nettles has led the U.S. Infection, Disease and Vaccines Medical Affairs team at the Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies for Johnson & Johnson. He's been working closely with global R&D colleagues. He and his team have focused on bringing critical therapies to people living with HIV and preparing for the potential introduction of vaccines across multiple disease areas, including investigational COVID-19 vaccines. He has more than 15 years of experience in the pharmaceutical industry. He has a bachelor's of science degree from the University of Notre Dame and a medical degree from Duke University. And he completed his internal medicine residency at Duke University Medical Center and his infectious disease fellowships at John Hopkins University. So He's well accomplished. He knows what he's talking about, guys. Um, so please welcome to the show, Dr. Nettles.
0: Hi, nice to be Hi. with you today. Thank you for having us.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. Tons of questions here, tons and tons of questions. Um, I know that there are currently in the United States, we have three vaccines, Pfizer, Moderna, and the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. And I think we don't talk enough about I'm going to say it, the Johnson & Johnson vaccines. Now, I read all the studies and I looked at everything and I particularly waited for this vaccine, but because I was looking at the data. Now, I'm not the expert per se. You are because you've been living, breathing, reading this like for months and months and months on end. So one of the major questions I get from people is what's the difference between the mRNA vaccines and the adenovirus technology, which is... Of what Johnson & Johnson uses. Can you explain to us the adenovirus technology?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the job of a vaccine is to train your immune system so that it's ready to defend your body when it should encounter coronavirus in in the real world. And so in many senses, the vaccines are doing the same job, but The way that they deliver that information or educate your immune system is somewhat different. And in the case of the J&J vaccine, it uses a virus called an adenovirus that in the the real world can cause just a cold-like symptom. And we've modified that virus so that it can't make you sick. And the adenovirus delivers the education into your cells so that they're ready to fight uh, the coronavirus if you should encounter it in the real world. We've used this adenovirus technology for over a decade in developing other vaccines. So for instance, we have an Ebola vaccine that's approved in Europe and is being used in Africa right now in situations where Ebola outbreaks have occurred. And we have a respiratory syncytial virus vaccine, which uses the adenovirus technology that's in a phase three clinical trial. So it's something that's been around a long time. But to answer your question directly, in, in many ways, the vaccines are doing the same thing. They're just training your body to be ready to fight coronavirus. The adenovirus is just a different way of doing that training.
1: Okay, well, I mean there's more than one k- way to skin a cat, I think that's what they say, and I think the important thing is the end goal, the objective, the the fact that the vaccine can help protect us from dying from COVID-19. So, can you help us understand the effectiveness of this particular vaccine? How effective is it? I know that the trials were done differently from, you know, the other the mRNA vaccines and also occurred a little bit later. Can you you help us understand the effectiveness and those numbers? Because people get so hung up on numbers.
0: Yeah, I can. Um, And you're right, it's difficult to compare the vaccines head to head because that wasn't done at the same clinical trial or at the same time. We talk mostly about our efficacy number from a phase three clinical trial that's called Ensemble 1. And that trial was conducted late last year at the peak of the coronavirus, if you remember, in sort of the fall and winter of, of 2020, it was a, a time when coronavirus was particularly bad in the U.S. And the good news is that just last month in September, we announced that the, the trial met its primary endpoint. And what we showed is that there was 70% overall efficacy protecting you against severe or critical COVID disease, and importantly, 89%. Protection against the need for hospitalization for those individuals who are enrolled in the US.
1: I think that's important to note because I think people believe that if I get any COVID vaccine, I'm not going to get COVID at all. And we know that there isn't any vaccine that's completely 100%. So what you're saying is this vaccine is still very, very effective at preventing us from getting moderate to severe illness that could land us in the hospital. Is that what I'm hearing you say?
0: Yeah, yeah, you're, you've got it right. So it, it definitely shows that the vaccine is working and it will will reduce your chances of, of getting COVID. But what it's really good at is protecting you against severe COVID that could lead to your hospitalization or death. Um, and that's where the number, you know, the number like an 89% protection against hospitalization mm-hmm. in the U.S. were particularly encouraged against. And if you remember this J&J vaccine uh, is a single dose in that Ensemble trial that we're speaking about so particularly for people who are unable to get a two dose vaccination series
1: dr nels i know as as we're talking about those numbers cuz this was one some, something that piqued my interest in this particular vaccine and guys again i'm just i'm i'm saying this because this is the vaccine that i got so of course i'm mm-hmm. going to have these type of questions but i was interested in the data because when the trials were occurring there were other strains of the virus that had presented themselves from what I understand, weren't necessarily present when the other vaccines were going through their trials. and that's something that distinguishes the Johnson & Johnson vaccine trials from the other companies' trials?
0: Yeah. If you remember the the, the the most feared strain towards the end of 2020 was a strain that had originated in South Africa. And one of the nice parts about that phase three trial is we, we were enrolling individuals in South Africa. And so we did show the efficacy against that variant but the world has, has very much changed since that time, and, and now we're, we're most worried about the Delta variant. There are others that are arising, mu and others, but right now it's, it's a vast majority of infections in the U.S. Uh, are against the Delta variant. Now, one of the things you'll see companies do is conduct real-world evidence efficacy trials where we're using large databases in the U.S. to see if your vaccine works in the real world like it does in your clinical trials. And we have conducted such a trial. We looked at 390,000 people who received the J&J vaccine and compared them to one and a half million who had not been vaccinated to the best that we could tell. And we confirmed that the efficacy of the vaccine was similar to what we saw in the clinical trial with 79% against COVID infections and 81% against COVID-related hospitalization. So that, that was good. It confirmed that in the real world, in the U.S., Um, the vaccine appears to be working. And importantly, this covered the period of time where the Delta variant was circulating, particularly in in states in the southern part of the United States. Now, we we don't have the specific genetic sequences of all those 390,000 individuals, but we're encouraged that uh, even during a time where Delta is the primary variant that the vaccine's holding up well.
1: That's good news. Glad to hear that. And I think it's helpful for people to hear this from you, because, you know, as a as a nurse, I'm so busy to, and I work in the icing the ear. I'm so busy taking care of patients. Um, and then by the time I get home, it's family, it's trying to relax and rest and then literally do it all over again. So although I try my best to look at the studies and stay abreast of information and read, it's really helpful to hear these things, you know, broken down and in, in ways that I can understand. So thank you for that. Now, something else that a lot of people have been curious to know about is you know, many people have, well, yeah, I'll say many, uh, have got, you know, got their vaccines, or let's just say people got their vaccines when they got them. For some of us, time has already elapsed. And there's some concerns from some people that the immunity might wane over time. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? Is this the case? And will boosters be needed?
0: Yeah, I can definitely talk about that. So we uh, it embarked upon a really broad vaccine development program that included a phase three clinical trial as a one dose approach. And that's what we've been talking about so far in this conversation. We thought that was really important because one of the main goals during a pandemic is to vaccinate as many people as we can all around the world. And a single dose approach helps you do that as well, this vaccine does not have ultra-cold storage requirements. So vaccinating in places where uh, that kind of technology is not available is possible with this vaccine. But we also conducted a two-dose vaccination series. We have now made some of that data available. And in that trial, people received a second dose of the vaccine two, approximately two months after the first dose. And in some of our other clinical trials, we've looked at the result of receiving a booster shot approximately six months after you receive your first dose. The good news with the single dose is that the the protection appears to be holding up well. We we do see some decline in the antibody levels, but they're still very robust out to eight or nine months. So for most individuals in the U.S. who've received the J&J vaccine, they're not out that far yet. We have shared information about receiving a second dose either two months after your first or six months or later after your first with the FDA. And we're talking with them now about the potential benefits of that. So for instance, in the trial where we used a second dose two months after receiving the first, we had 94% protection in the US against symptomatic COVID and 100% protection against the need for hospitalization. So that's important. And, And we also see that if you get a second shot two months after the first, your antibody levels goes up four to six-fold. If you receive a second shot six months after the first, they go up 12-fold. So for those individuals who received the J&J vaccine sometime earlier this year, we're working as quickly as we can to see how the FDA and the CDC want to recommend a second dose of our vaccine.
1: Well, that's good to know. And, and speaking of talking about the CDC and FDA and how we're going, you guys will move forward, any plans for vaccines for those below the age of 18? Because we know that there's, you know, so many kiddos out there and kids are back to school. They're resuming many of their activities. And the concern is that kids, you know, can still spread the, uh, the virus to, uh, you know, to their families going in and out from school. And, you know, because our kids are in a classroom, although they try to physical distance, because I have kids too. They try to physical distance, but they're kids. Kids like to play and yeah. touch and, you know, all those type of things. So, you know, what what is Johnson & Johnson, uh, as far as the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, any plans for vaccines in the kiddos?
0: Yeah, you're exactly right, Nurse Alice. I, I have a 14-year-old and he likes to wear his mask over his chin and that's about it. So I-, I Chin guard. Totally, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we totally agree. Um, making sure that we have safe and effective vaccines for, for everyone, including uh, pediatric uh, population, pregnant women- That type of data is really important, and we're working hard to bring that forward. Um, We've just started our our clinical trial in the adolescent population in that 12 to 17 range. Our emergency use authorization is for individuals 18 and above right now. So that will extend the range down to 12-year-olds. We hope to have that trial enrolled as quickly as possible with data available as, as soon as we can make it. And then we're also in discussions with regulators about age de-escalating so if we show that the vaccine is safe and effective in those 12 to 17 we'll go even uh, even lower and, and begin to enroll the the true pediatric population
1: as far as the vaccine so I'm kind of going back just a little bit but you know you're talking about uh, expanding vaccines to younger people there are some people who may have gotten the vaccine so like myself and they're really concerned that they want, you know, do everything they can to protect themselves, their family members, and maybe they live with kids who aren't yet eligible for a vaccine. And with, you know, news of immunity potentially waning, people are entering the flu season, they're getting nervous. They're getting nervous. And they're like, I, you know, I really want some extra protection. And there have been some other news announcements about boosters. Do you have any information about can someone get a booster vaccine with another Type of vaccine after they receive the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, or is that a, something that's not recommended? We don't know enough data. Can you help us understand? Because people are doing it, and not necessarily us, the nurses. But I'm just saying that there are people in the community, and we want to know how to educate our patients when they ask us these questions.
0: It's a really important question right now. Is and you know, it's people are interested in mixing and matching all of the different combinations. So the same question: if you've received a dose of a Moderna vaccine, can you receive then a dose of Pfizer or J&J or any combination that you can think of? What we know right now is that the CDC and the FDA have have given their advice with regard to individuals who've received the two-dose primary series of the Pfizer vaccine and given instructions on how to boost that particular patient with another dose of the Pfizer vaccine. We're working with the FDA, as I'm sure you're aware, Moderna is to have similar instructions available for individuals who've received the J&J vaccine. We call that a homologous boost when you receive the same booster as the primary series. So if you received a J and j getting a and j There's really two uh, important studies that we should have information from very soon. One is going to come out of the UK and one is coming out of the U.S. government, the NIAID, And both of these trials are going to look at just what you're talking about, mixing and matching. So if somebody has gotten J&J, would it be better for them to get another dose of J&J or should you mix it up and get a dose of Pfizer and Moderna? And so I would expect this data to be available over the next couple of weeks. When you listen to people like Dr. Fauci, he's starting to talk about that this data will be available very soon.
1: That's good to know. So that means hold on tight, guys, because there's information that's coming. But, you know, this is this is medicine. This is healthcare. We things things change, things improve. We get new data and we adjust and we pivot. So we got to make sure we stay tuned to that, because I have to be honest, I get a lot of people that ask me that question.
0: Totally understandable with how the Delta surge is happening right now. I know that people um, want this information as soon as possible.
1: Correct. And then another uh, something else that's come up. I know that there have been cases of TTS and GBS, which have been associated with the vaccine. Uh, Can you help us understand the relationship and what we should monitor in our patients and educate the public?
0: Yeah, this is really important. So TTS stands for thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome. Uh, And so what that means is, is people are developing blood clots and at the same time have very low platelet counts. So that's an unusual combination. And some of the blood clots have been in the brain or deep in the abdomen, which again is an unusual spot for a blood clot. I'm sure you and your audience have seen people developing blood clots in their legs and that develop Mm -hmm. pulmonary embolism. So these are a little bit unusual. What's really important to say about TTS after the J&J vaccine is it's very rare. Right now, there's probably on the order of three individuals per million who would experience something like this. And the other important thing to remember is these blood clots are not treated like the usual deep venous thrombosis. So blood thinners might actually not be the way to go. So if somebody has received the J&J vaccine, you know, in that one to three weeks afterwards, if they develop a really severe headache with double vision or really severe abdominal pain that is unusual... That's the type of thing that the the audience should be looking for, and then make it known that this person did receive the J&J vaccine and and they can get the proper imaging and blood work to make the diagnosis. Most commonly, TTS is occurring in women under the age of 50, so that might help as well if if the patient is presenting and they're in that age group. GBS is Guillain-Barre syndrome, which I'm sure the audience is also familiar with. Uh, an ascending weakness in, in the arms or the legs that can progress to become more serious and require hospitalization. Again, this is something that is very rare. This is a more more well-known side effect that can occur with vaccination, but it has been seen with uh, with the J and J vaccine. Mm-hmm. So again, if, a, if, a, if an individual develops those symptoms following a J and J vaccine for for the next month or so after the vaccination, and and this one, unlike TTS, this seems to occur more in older men. So that would be where I would be particularly on the lookout for GPS.
1: This is good information and things that we should be alerted to. I know in the emergency room, we would ask people, If they were vaccinated and what type of vaccine and when they got their vaccines. That's important information to know. Although what they're coming in for may not be related to any of the vaccine, it's still important information for us to know as healthcare professionals, guys, because although it may be very rare, it might be associated to what they're coming in for. So that's something as part of your assessment, you wanna make sure you ask for. And now we know what to also look for TTS and GBS should this happen. But it's very rare, as Dr. Nettles said. Dr. Nettles, what else do you feel that, you know, we as nurses in particular should know about Johnson Johnson? I mean, you shared a lot of information already, but is there any anything else that you really want to share with us so that we can share with our patients? Is there... Uh, a particular website, a resource that you think that we should be extending to the public and our patients when they ask us about the vaccine?
0: Yeah. If your audience has questions about the J&J vaccine, it's JanssenCOVID19Vaccine.com, where they can find all sorts of information about the vaccine, including the fact sheet, which is what the FDA approves on our vaccine. And it's kept, kept up to date with the efficacy and, and safety information. I think the most important thing that I would want to share with the audience is we're working with the FDA and the CDC as closely as we can. And of the three vaccines that are approved either under emergency use or under a full biologic license agreement, they're all found by the FDA and the CDC to be safe and effective. So for, for those who have not been vaccinated this is a dangerous time with the Delta variant, and I would really strongly urge you to talk with a healthcare provider about the three vaccines and decide which one's right for you. They have their pros and cons. They're available mostly at any drugstore right now, and they're free. So really, have that conversation with your healthcare provider and decide which one's right for you. And and it's really an important thing you can do to protect yourself and your family. We'll work as fast as we can to get that booster information for for individuals like you, nurse Alice who've received the j and j vaccine should the FDA think that that's warranted to make that type of information available as well
1: that's reassuring to know, and I just have to also say it's a very unique time. I don't know that I can't think of any other time of where we've you know had like a front row seat to the development of vaccines because we're literally like sitting and waiting like eating our popcorn like okay, what's next we're like we're, we're so hungry for the information. We're so hungry to know you know, how we can best protect ourselves. So thank you to all of the work that you and your team are doing. We know that you're working as fast as you can. While guys, let me say this, they're working fast, but they're also being safe. Please be assured there, no one has been cutting corners. I know that's also a question that people have asked, well, why did the vaccines happen so quickly? These folks have been doing works for years. Coronavirus is, is not new. although. SARS-CoV-2 might be a new addition to the uh, coronavirus family. These folks have been doing lots of work in the labs, epidemiologists, scientists, physicians, researchers, they've been working on this, they have resources, and they're really dedicated to helping us to be safe. So uh, thank you guys for working around the clock.
0: I think um, that's a really good point. If I can just say, I, I totally agree. As I was mentioning at the start, we've been working with this adenovirus platform for for over a decade And I also have had that front row seat to see the clinical trials. These are really large clinical trials. Our our ensemble trial that we've been discussing enrolled over 40,000 people across three continents, including here in the U.S. And so I can I can really say that we haven't skipped any steps. We've been able to move quickly because of really nice collaboration with the FDA And we've in parallel ramped up production while we were doing our phase three clinical trial, but there's been no cut corners with regard to safety of these vaccines.
1: If I can add this in, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but usually it takes a while to recruit people. And this is an era where people were volunteering and wanting to be in this. So all of that time that's usually take, you know, the time that's taken to recruit people, people are just knocking at your door, hey. can I participate? Can I participate? So guys, it's important for us to understand that because I know we're nurses and we're familiar with vaccines, but we're not always familiar with the development and the process that takes place. So understanding that and making sure that our patients can understand that helps ease the mind of a lot of people. Because again, everything is being done, as Dr. Nettles said, with collaboration, uh, with safety, no corners are being cut with this or any of the other vaccines. So that's one thing that's very important and reassuring to people And it can also help decrease some of the hesitancy that some of our patients um, may be having. So this is why it was really important for us to talk about this so you can better understand the information. So we've talked about the process. We've talked about efficacy, the trials, you know, the things that are coming down the pipeline with Janssen and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So Dr. Nels, we're really excited to hear the next steps. And Dr. Nels, if you can tell us that website again of where we can go for information on the vaccine.
0: Absolutely. It's Jansen 19 vaccinecom
1: Okay, great. And we're gonna we're gonna make sure that that goes up on the website too, so you guys can just click the link and it'll take you directly to, to that website. But guys, this has been a, a really great conversation. I know this is it's really a lot of information that was done in a very digestible bite-sized podcast. But you know, we wanted to bring this to you because it's important that we get this information and we may have heard some of these things, but sometimes we need a reminder. Um, because it's a lot of information to keep in our keeping our head while we're juggling, you know, very sick and critically ill patients, or maybe you have eight patients. It's it's really tough. So um, thank you to all the frontline healthcare workers who are listening and took the time to really digest this, and we'll continue to share this information with your patients and your families, your churches and your communities because. We're in this together. Yes, we are healthcare providers, but we are also consumers. We're also community members. So we really have to help one another. So thank you to Dr. Nettles and his team. He's a really busy guy, guys. I know he is. So this is going to conclude our interview with him. But you guys, it's really important. We are still in a world pandemic. Please take precautions. Please encourage people to get vaccinated, share the information with them, encourage them to talk to their doctor or their nurse practitioner about what's the best choice for them. Okay, but we want everyone to be safe and myself and nurse.org wants you to be safe, live happy and well, and we're going to get through this pandemic, hopefully sooner versus later. So I'm Nurse Alice. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe, like, rate and review the podcast. And until next time, make good choices, be kind to one another and live well, my friends.
0: Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education and community resources.